This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Gender and sexuality are complex subjects. We all know this, we being new. But how does a university handle these topics? Find out in this week's episode. My name is Alex, I use they them pronouns, and this is Stride with Pride. Hello and welcome back to Stride with Pride. I hope you've had a fantastic however long it's been since you listened to the last episode. On this week's episode, I wanted to talk a bit about this class that I'm in at uni. So for those of you who don't know, I'm a uni student um, and I, this semester, am taking a gender and sexuality studies class or course, um, which I'm finding actually like really interesting. I mean, I knew I'd find it interesting anyway, but like learning things. Wow. <laughs> a wild concept. Um, and I am a nerd, so um, I'm, I'm going to talk about it today. Um and talk about how it's been interesting as someone who sort of feels like they have a a good grasp of it so far. <laughs> so for the first lesson, I guess the the first class lecture um of this class, I gave them an A minus. <laughs> I graded them, um, and I went in it. I went into it uh, not really knowing what to expect. Um, I sort of was, I, yeah, I, I sort of expected to have a lot of knowledge already about what we were talking about, but um, you know, I also was interested to see what they had to say. Um, and yeah, no, I, they they scored pretty well, I think, um, in my personal personal opinion. Um, so we sort of started talking about like how gender is around us in the world um, and and how it's sort of like a uh, fish in water so the fish doesn't notice that the water is there um, and it's all around them but um, it's so pervasive in its life that it just doesn't recognize it, it doesn't know that it's there and um, they were talking about how you know gender is like that because um, so many things around us are gendered that we might not even think about all the time um, and so we had a class discussion about that, which was pretty cool. Um, and, yeah, we were asked, like, where we see gender in our day-to-day life. And I mentioned, you know, being misgendered because it's something that we are, you know, we're forced to think about it all the time when we're getting dressed and when we're doing things and things like that. Um, we have to deal with gender <laughs> all the time, and that's a fun and fresh time. But... um I think it's also good to note, like, things around us, too. So not just how it interacts with ourselves, but, you know, the ways in which toxic masculinity influences certain factors of our being or other people's being and how power structures align within society and um, just a bunch of stuff. And, like, even, like, how you sit or portray yourself and all things like that. Um, that's all gendered by society it's all gendered by society um so we we started talking about that and they showed us this clip of a 
child, or there were two kids, um, and one was a boy and one was a girl, and then they switched the clothes and then gave them opposite names. So one of them, the the one that was a girl, they dressed up in boys' clothes and gave it a boy's name, um, and. Then they got uh, random adults to come in and uh, interact with the child, and there was a bunch of different toys, and they were sort of aiming to see if the gender of the child had any influence on it. Um, and we found that quite interesting as a class, um, and also found a lot of um, flaws in their scientific method um, in the video. Uh, a lot of us are psych students, so <laughs> I guess that's where that comes from. So that was interesting to note. Um, it was... Yeah, no, it was an interesting discussion. I mean, it's all sort of like stuff that I was like already like, yeah, gender stereotypes affect us more than we think. And like we have preconceived notions of what should go where, even if we don't think we do. It's like subliminal bias and subconscious stuff, all things like that, um, <laughs> which is stuff that I'm used to thinking about and talking about. But, you know, we got to start somewhere. Um, and... Then, one thing they got really big points for was um, talking about the commodification of gender. So, you know, the whole pink is for girls. I almost said boys. <laughs> pink is for girls, so they must have pink toys and pink clothes and pink everything because we cannot give them boys things because that would be a horrible, horrible time. Um, so we talked about that. <laughs> Um, and talked about the gender stereotypes that sort of aligned with the toys that they gave them. So the adults were, you know, giving the girls or the the girl um, baby, air quotes, I, I realize you can't see what I'm doing, um, air quotes, <laughs> giving the girl um, soft pink fluffy toys rather than toys that would help with motor skill development or, you know, challenge their brain and things like that things that babies need to grow. And then we started talking about um, Robert Stoller, who um, was a big writer of things to do with sex and gender, and is actually the person who sort of coined the term gender identity, um, which is a fun fact. Here's some of our history. Um, and John Money and Anka Erdhart, I think, um, in 1972, uh, sort of defined sex, gender identity, and gender roles as specific terms, all things that we've come to use in our vocab and um, as our wider wider context and things that we use all the time, which is a fun and fresh time. So good things for them. Um, <laughs> yay. Um, and then we talked about Gail Rubin, who is an anthropologist, and um, talked about the ways in which gender is socially and culturally constructed, um, and how each culture has different meanings associated with what it means to be a man or a woman. And the first, um, this first lecture was pretty binary. However, however, she did mention throughout. Um, some stuff about non-binary people as well. And then at the end, um, she had this little slide, one of the slides that was like, oh, you might have noticed I didn't mention non-binary things. Um, and that's because our society is so binary with these things. Um, but um, she sort of played herself because um, she'd already talked about that, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Um, and another thing, she got big, 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 big points um, talking about cultural genders. So 
genders in other cultures, Fafafine and um, Takatapui and all of this good shiz, you know, all of the different different genders and different cultures and how different cultures um, didn't look down upon um, these genders and, um, you know, colonization is the thing that messed up stuff and inclusion for, like, a lot of cultures, like, all the cultures that were colonized. Um, so that's a good and spicy time and she got big points for mentioning that. Um, only got an A minus though because um, she didn't introduce herself with her pronouns. She has since been revealed to be a she, so that's why I'm using she her pronouns. Um, but could have could have introduced with pronouns, so could be better. But overall, pretty good, pretty good introduction. Good place to start. In the second lecture, we sort of talked about um, uh, more about cultural genders and how. Oh, and how culture and gender intersex in um, this way. So intersectionality, we love it. Big, big pog, big good times. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, we sort of discussed like how white people don't necessarily see ourselves as having a culture because it is so normative. It's the norm, in quotes, Um and so it's like the the fish in the water thing. So we take all these things that are culture for granted and we assume that our understandings of gender are, you know, the understandings of gender, which is like not the case, obviously. Like diversity, intersectionality are things, a wild concept, you know. <laughs> and then we sort of talked about the... Um, through history ways of quantifying gender and sexuality. And so we talked about the Kinsey scale. Um, for those who don't know, it was sort of a scale in well, 1948 um, that was sort of uh, to represent your sexuality on a scale. But um, one end was completely heterosexual and one end was completely homosexual. Um, and it sort of allowed for some areas of bisexuality um it was more about tendencies but this we talked about this in class it is very you know binary and it doesn't account for other genders and liking multiple genders and liking multiple genders more or less and for fluidity and things like that um and we also mentioned um that only in later versions and i don't think it was the kinsey scale i think it was a different one um did they even have the option for asexual because um, this was just assuming that everyone is sexual and everyone has somewhere between liking men and liking women and maybe somewhere in between with different tendencies which is kind of reductive you know <laughs> um, and then we talked a bit about how late mid to late 20th century researchers um, kept trying to make sense of gender and sexuality these very vast um, subjects um, that are kind of hard to quantify, you know, and they they try to quantify these by using scales and continuum. Continuums? Continua? I don't know. You know, the ones where it's like at one end is something and one end is something else. Um, but, um, yeah, so we talked a bit about how those are reductive, um, but we also talked about how it's made its way into what's called pop discourse um, with 
things like the genderbred person. Um, and here we're talking about the original model because um, it has been improved since. <laughs> so with the original model, we see that it is literally only one scale, one continuum for each thing that's on it. So on the original one, it has gender identity, gender expression, biological sex, and sexual orientation. Um, and the gender identity goes from woman to genderqueer in the middle to man. Gender expression goes from feminine to androgynous in the middle, then masculine. Biological sex goes from female to intersex to male. And sexual orientation goes from heterosexual to bisexual to homosexual. And these are quite reductive. Um, and it was good at the time. We talked about that, how it has merits for starting to explain it. But um, it... Firstly, immediately notice that it doesn't have anything for romantic attraction, which can be completely different from sexual orientation. And, you know, gender expression, um, clothes don't have gender. We did that ourselves. Um, I guess that one sort of does make sense, but also, like, you're not necessarily just one point on that line, you know? You can, like, have different levels of, like, you can be both masculine and feminine. And, like, you know... It doesn't. It really doesn't account for the change. And the biggest one is obviously the gender identity because one spectrum with woman on one end and man on one end doesn't account for the massive, massive variation of gender. And, you know, when we talk about spectrums and stuff, like, that doesn't... That's still a binary spectrum, so anyone who's not non-binary doesn't fit within that, even if it's somewhere in the middle. But, like, that doesn't... Those those things don't work for non-binary people. So we had a discussion about that. Um, and, yeah, no, so we, we talked about how continua are inherently reductive um, in terms of talking about gender and sexuality. And, again, doesn't account for asexuality, so there's no option for you to just go no attraction to men, no attraction to women, no attraction to anyone else. Um, which things like like other versions of the genderbred person or that I have seen the genderbred unicorn um, do actually discuss um, and have different things for that. The genderbred unicorn is one of the most up-to-date ones I think I've seen um, and that has three different ones for uh, three different sort of um, none to all um, scales for so under gender identity there's female woman girl as one male man boy as another one male man <laughs> um, and then other genders as another one um, and so you can be at the none end for all of them as well um, same with gender expression and physical attraction and emotional attraction so I, I really like the change of wording from sexual to uh, sexual and romantic to physical and emotional, because um, that really gets the core of what it's about as well. Um, however, those things are not necessarily the same, and we aren't going to conflate that stuff, because emotional can be a bunch of different things. doesn't just have to be romantic. But I will note that the gender unicorn does actually talk about sex assigned at birth, and it has checkboxes for this. Um... And this is something that we actually discussed in the next lecture, um, how sex is also a social construct. And the discussion around this and the reading specifically was really, really fascinating for me. But like, we as a society have defined where the lines of your 
enough to go into this female category biologically or this male category biologically. We've drawn those lines. They they didn't exist before, you know? So it's it's just there's a whole bunch of variation um as I think it was Bill Nye put it, like it's bimodal. It's a bimodal spectrum. Um there are points, two points that are most common and most people fall within those, but there's a whole bunch of stuff still outside of that. Um so the continua for that actually works best. But also like what constitutes the perfect male and female body, like you know? So um that also is to do with, you know, societal standards and things like that. So much stuff is. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and in the reading for this next week, something I found interesting that is related to this is um, it was talking about how sex is also socially constructed and, like, you know, ancient Greeks only had one sex um, and other cultures have had three sexes. Um, and it's it's all defined by culture. But also, like... Our culture has also defined sex in the ways that, like, so there's the whole men are taller than women thing. But this actually kind of comes from, um, I think it was maybe Victorian, but, you know, like, early sort of European-ish culture valuing men um, more than women for they can do more work for things and, like, you know, they're expected to be bigger and stronger to do more work. Um, so they were, more resources were put towards them with nourishment and things like that, um, which actually made them be able to reach their full potential. So a lot of the women were undernourished. But now that we're seeing sort of equal-ish, you know, and not as much of that obvious favoring, like heights are actually evening out so because because more women afab people are being able to not be undernourished like they can reach their full height potential as well so the height difference is actually shrinking which i found really fascinating and then we talked about gender as a social category rather than as a fixed essential thing about you so we talked about biological essentialism which is basically turfism um believing that manness has an essence and so does womanness and all, all men and women have this essence um, which doesn't account for trans and non-binary people at all um, so it, it is it is um, very turfy because it's like mm, there's only two genders and only two sexes um, and it's it's fixed inevitable and uh, unchanging that doesn't mm -mm, no changing for you women must want kids and be maternal because of their biology and men must be more aggressive that's basically what that perspective is <laughs> saying and then we talked about social constructionism um which you know is not turfy um and is saying like you know these are just categories we've constructed by society and put people into um and some cultures organize their societies in different ways with different genders and things like that and it changes over time different words have different meanings and what these categories are allowed to do changes over time as well um, so basically they're produced and constructed by the society we live in, which we be new. And then we talked about like different sort of politics of gender. So, um, power relations and opportunities and disadvantages, um, as well as expectations, experiences and privilege and prejudice. All of these 
fun buzzwords. And yeah, we talked about different types of feminism um, and specifically as well about manawahine, um, which is a way to bring intersectionality into it. So it is very, very badly translated as Māori feminism. This does not take the full weight of the word into account, but it is the ways in which the mana, the being, the wairua of Māori wahine build up their culture um, and experience the world through both of these lenses and the ways that that impacts them. And we discussed this quite a lot. And we also talked about how we're never only gendered. How we are gendered is always bound up with our cultural context and identity. So it is always intersectional, whether we whether we realize it or not. Manawahine takes into account the whakapapa and the connection and history and genealogy of where you're from and who you're from, and that these are all integral parts of who one is and the dynamic and the dynamic and connected relationship between the self and others and between gender and your culture and in the past and the present. Um, and then we talked about, uh, in the next week, more about different types of feminism. So we were given a little history lesson, um, talking about first, second and third wave feminism. Um, so the first wave being fighting for rights and for votes um, and broadly for the rights of indigenous people and other disenfranchised groups. There were some prohibitions of alcohol um, and basically fighting for greater workplace opportunity for middle class women um, and seeking sexual freedom as well. Um, And that was in the late 19th to early 20th century. And then the second wave uh, was in the 1960s to the 80s, um, talking about growing awareness of women's personal lives. Um, and it was really, really about how the personal is political. Um, so that was one of their main, the main things um, that they talked about and talking about how bringing experience to the forefront. So like I experienced this thing and talking about it so other women could have a chance to be like, oh yeah, m- me too. The hell? Why? Let's fix this. So that was, there were a lot of things to do with that. And there, at this time, there became a bunch of different branches of feminism. So things like liberal feminism, radical feminism, socialist feminism, lesbian feminism, postcolonial, ecofeminist, postmodern, Marxist, a bunch of different things. And then the third wave from the 80s to the 90s was a lot more concerned about talking about broadening the horizons of who should be included in things. And so having intersectional thinking, because a lot of the time it was for middle to upper class white women. So this was bringing a bunch of people into the forefront and using things like queer theory and post-colonial theory and reflecting on the early feminism and using that thought to broaden out the focus of you know, the people who should get rights. Wow. So really, really paying attention to the intersections. Um, and also making awareness that it's not like one one group, not one group. Oh, no. Yeah. And so we, we've kept talking about intersectionality because obviously it's super, super important as well as dualisms. Um, so things that we talk about, so masculinity on one side and femininity on another side, um, and talking about binaries and things like that, how they're not not fun and fresh, um, and dualistic thinking just d- doesn't capture 
a bunch of things. Um, wow, who who to thunk? Um, and this week we've actually started talking about masculinities, um, which is a cool time. So um, talking about what we what our thoughts about masculinity is and hegemonic masculinity and how pervasive that is and how that affects who gets to be themselves and how we put down people who are going out of what is expected. Oh no, you're not being this complete cartoon caricature and being this big macho dude and who drinks beer and is a player and oh my god you don't confine yourself to society's standards that help no one because they're silly and dumb (laughs) um so basically talking about hegemonic masculinity and also talking about doing gender which i think is quite interesting and i'm probably going to talk about that in a different episode um but how gender is not within this perspective how gender isn't a thing that we are it's something we do so the ways we present ourselves so with clothing hair um presentation obviously and the ways that we move and the ways we sit and the ways our faces move and things like that and how they're gendered by society and we perform gender. Um, so that's a good time. I'm going to talk about a lot of this stuff a lot more in depth. I just kind of wanted to talk about it um, in info dump. <laughs> so here you go. Um, there's a lot of things that we're learning and I just kind of wanted to talk about it. Um, because it makes me happy. I've, I've really enjoyed learning a bunch of stuff in this class. It's, it's really cool. I enjoyed it a lot. So I wanted to share that with you. Um, it isn't particularly maybe interesting. Maybe it's interesting. I think it's interesting. So um, here you go, Suffer. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, oh, I need to create a spotlight. For this week's Creator Spotlight, I wanted to shout out Rainbow Frog Biscuits on TikTok. Um, they are a she they and they make a lot of wonderful, wonderful, wholesome content and songs and just really amazing good vibes. Um, sort of dody like if so if you like that, you'll like her stuff. Um, they they make a lot of cool stuff. Um, so you should you should check them out on TikTok. It's Rainbow Frog Biscuits. Look at that. It's not a video essayist. Are you proud of me yet? Um, <laughs> um, but we have reached the end of this week's episode of Stride with Pride. I hope you've enjoyed me just info dumping about my class that I'm enjoying. You know, um, it's a good time for me. So hopefully it's a good time for you hearing about it. Um, anyway, <laughs> I hope you have an amazing day, afternoon, or evening, whenever you are listening to this, and remember that you are so loved, you are so worthy and valuable of love inherently as part of who you are. You do not need to do anything to be worthy of this, you are worthy of it inherently. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at stride.with.pride so you can leave suggestions and answer questions that might be included in this episode, and don't forget to spread your joy. See you next time. Bye! For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.